Blog Talk Radio. everyone, and welcome to Violet Reiki Radio, and I would like to thank the founders of the Saken Network for giving me this opportunity to have this show and bring this show to the public, where each week we talk about Reiki and all things surrounding Reiki, its discovery, roots, practice, and more. We also discuss things that the founder of Reiki, Mikhail Usui, would have loved and things that he was interested in. He found all things metaphysical, philosophical, religious, healing, all of those things uh, were of great interest to Mikhail Usui and it was because of his love of life and his unceasingly uh, curious nature that he came to develop the Reiki method. So we're we're glad to have uh, that curiosity continue today. And um, a lot of Reiki healers are doing... Just that, you know, all those of us who practice Reiki, we are practicing Reiki, which is a healing method and a method of relaxation and uh, balancing the body's energy so that it can go on and heal itself and promote a lifestyle of continual health. Reiki is a universal life force energy. It is an intelligent energy of love and wholeness. Reiki understands the cause of problems and what healing is necessary. The Reiki energy has the wisdom healing and balancing all aspects of a person's mind, body, emotions, and spirit. Reiki is a blessing, an instantaneously conferred sacred potential for healing, protection, personal and spiritual development. For more information on Reiki, please visit my website, which is www.violetrosereiki.com or send an email to rose at violetrosereiki.com. You can also find me on Facebook as Violet Rose Reiki. And I also have a page on Facebook. You can find me all over social media, but I also have a page on Facebook, which is called Reiki Ward. And Reiki Ward was formed, we're coming up on five years, five years ago, to provide 
pre-distant Reiki healing for humans and animals all over the world. Reiki Ward does two to three rounds of healing every day at a minimum. And we also place requests on our healing grid. We have a healing crystal grid. If you go to the Reiki Ward, I think you'll be able to see a photo of it. Every once in a while, we change it up, different crystals. And that is for 24-7 energy work and healing. We have, at this point, somewhere between 400 to 600 Reiki practitioners working on the Reiki Ward page and the site and your requests every day. And it's very easy to place a request for healing on Reiki Ward. You can uh, you post it the same way you would post on your friend's wall. You know, just do a post and say, you know, my name is and I'm requesting Reiki healing for so-and-so. And this can be a family member, a friend. Um, you know, anyone who, who you feel needs Reiki, uh, just let us know, please, the name of the person. It could be a first name. It could be first and last, whatever you want. You know, we, we do respect and value privacy. Um, and just a location. We just need a city and a state. We don't need specific location and the issue, what the problem is, if they have, um, you know, what, whatever the illness or whatever is. If they have cancer, it would help if you give us a location or a type of um, something like that. And feel free. Again, it's called Reiki Ward. You can look on Facebook under the little search bar, Reiki Ward page, and you'll find us. And um, if you have any questions, again, feel free to email me, Rose, Violet Rose, on Facebook, or you can email me at rose at violetrosereiki.com if you have a private request or something of a nature that you really don't feel comfortable putting up on social media, and we'll take care of it. So, um, yeah, that's what we're all about. It's all about healing, and it's all about love, and love really is the ultimate, ultimate healer. Um, this evening I have with me, my guest is Mark Chapin. Mark is a meditation instructor, workshop leader, and life coach. Mark's story began in late 2001 when his girlfriend Lynn perished in the tragic attacks on 9-11. The emotional trauma caused him to suffer from anxiety, panic attacks, and depression, as well as other health issues. After finding meditation and embarking on a journey towards self-discovery, Mark was able to heal himself and successfully begin anew. Mark has written about his downfall and inspiring comeback in his book, Remembering Your Spirit, a story about 9-11, Life After Death and Learning to Heal. After the book was released, Mark shifted gears from chefing. Yes, he, he was a very successful chef or may still be a very successful chef. Uh, we'll have to find out. Teaching and coaching. Mark has a BS in psychology from SUNY Oneida, leadership training from Harvard University, and received his coaching training from Robbins Medane Strategic Intervention. His other trainings include mindfulness-based stress reduction. I love it. Breathwork, meditation, Reiki, and hypnotherapy. Mark runs weekly meditation classes on Long Island in New York City and New Jersey. He also offers private coaching, monthly meditation workshops, and quarterly retreats. He currently resides in New Jersey with his wife and three children. So, without further ado, good evening, Mark. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Lovely. I don't know what to ask you first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first I have to give you credit for pronouncing my last name correctly because very few people get that right, and you never actually asked me, so I was impressed when you pronounced it correctly. 
Thank you. I never did. And just going with, you know, the the crew here, the, the guys, yeah. the angels, the spirit. <laughs> Doing a lot of work from shooting from the hip and going from the gut these days. Um, <laughs> well, it's working. <laughs> Finally. Uh, question. Because this I find curious. The chefing, are you still doing it? Yeah, on a limited basis, I do still do chefing. Um, I started a catering company in 2002, and I ran it for about 12 years. And um, when my book came out, that's when I switched gears, and I really slowed down with the chefing and went more into promoting the book and doing the coaching and teaching classes, the workshops, and things like that. But my phone is still ringing, so I I do um, cater some events. I have a a long list of, um, you know, clients that I've been working for for so long. So it's hard to say no to those because, you know, you work for a family for so many years and you develop a relationship with them. And, you know, it's just, it's enjoyable for me. So um, it's, nice. I, I am doing it, but it's on a limited basis. I don't really do, I don't advertise it or anything like that anymore. Um, but I just kind of do it on the side. So, Which begs the question, are you a foodie? Would you consider yourself a foodie? I am definitely a foodie, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I it's not as glamorous as it used to be for me because I am the father of three little kids under six years old, and so it's all about like what can I put out in front of them? Six different variations because they're not going to like this, they're not going to like that. Yesterday they loved this dish, today they hate it. So um, these days it's more about just putting out. Uh, food kind of like survival mode for the kids uh, but my wife uh-huh. and I like to go out and enjoy a really good meal and uh, of course I always um, enjoy myself when I can kind of run to the store get some great ingredients and put together a good meal for her and I so, so I would say yeah that that's, a, that's a natural kid thing because I know when I was a kid I drove my mother insane I mean something that I liked on Monday I disdained and hated on Wednesday and <laughs>
go with your own instincts. And that, I think that's what makes you a great cook or a great chef is, you know, just relying on taste and flavors and kind of what goes together. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hate when people say like, "Oh, I'll, I'm famous for posting my food photos on on Facebook," and people say, "Recipe, please." And I'm like, "Oh, um, hmm, I'll have to work on that and get it to you because there, you know, I don't have one. I just do it." Yep. Yep. But um, yep. I feel it's the same thing. Yeah. So, funny. so let's move forward a little, and I know you and I briefly discussed you lost your. Was she your fiance or just your girlfriend at the time? Yeah, she was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, we were planning to get married, but um, we were, you know, we we dated in college for a while, and then we kind of uh, broke up for a little while, and then she, you know, I grew, I evolved a little bit after college, I like to say, and uh, she gave me a second chance. So we kind of rekindled our romance, and... Um, it was going great. You know, she said, all right, we'll give it a shot. I'll come down and see if there's anything there. Because when I called her um, after we graduated, she wasn't dating anyone. So I, I proposed for her to come down and just, like, go out to dinner and see how things go. And, and things went really well. And then the re- relationship developed and it evolved. And we, we became really close. And she lived upstate in the um, Monroe area. I say it's upstate. They probably might not call it upstate, but. Um, when you live on Long Island, everything above the Tappan Zee is considered upstate. I'm sure you know. So, yes, um, yes. For me, anything that's above the Bronx is upstate. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. So, yeah, so everything was going great. I mean, we were um, we were really excited. I definitely thought that we were going to get married and we were going to uh, have a family. And I was going to culinary school, so I figured I would open a restaurant. And she had a really great job. Uh, in finance, so everything was, you know, great. I, I was so happy. I felt like things were, like, clicking into place. Um, yeah. And then that was, you know, unfortunately led up till 9-11. You know, I don't – I lost a, a friend in 9-11 as well who was a fireman, and then he became a uh, cop, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's how he passed away. He was working for the NYPD, but – I really can't even wrap my head around and comprehend the anguish that people who lost direct loved ones on that day went through, have gone Mm -hmm. through, and are still, to a certain extent, dealing with. Um, Mm -hmm. It was so horrific. And I remember myself walking out the door that morning to go to work and hearing about the first plane hitting the World Trade Center. And mm-hmm. the very next thing that came into my ear, because I am clear audience, I hear spirit, was spirit saying to me, that was no accident. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what? And I had to get to work. So I got to work. And uh, when I got there, by the time I got to work, it was maybe 20 minutes later, I heard that the second plane had hit the, the towers. And my head was reeling at that point because I'm going, oh, my God, I can't believe that this message I got was true and that this is going on. This is terrible. Right. And the rest of the day was a disaster. My husband, my ex-husband, he was freaking out here at home. He kept telling me, come home, come home, because I think he was thinking, God knows what's going to happen, who's going to get hit, where's going to get hit next. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I can't imagine what you guys were going through. But uh, so then that... I'm sure you went through PS, um, what is it, PTSD. I did quite a few times in my life, and as you said, the anxiety, the panic. So, how did you deal with that? Is is that how you got into learning to meditate, or were you looking for different modalities to help you? Yeah, I uh, I, I developed those things that you mentioned: anxiety, panic attack. And, uh, you know, I, I was experiencing depression, and I also had that I dealt with on a daily basis. And, wow. and if I'm being, you know, to be honest with you, I really didn't realize that at the time that it was because of the emotional state that I was in. I, I just thought I was so wrapped up in my own pain that I thought that this was just something that I was going through. 
on top of like the pain from uh, you know, losing Ian and having to go through the whole ordeal of um of trying to find her and just like, you know, all those details. Uh, and I just kept thinking, well once once I get these physical issues out of the way, then I can focus on um the emotional stuff. And um I was going to the doctors and I tried to you know, I, I went to a lot of different specialists on Long Island, in New York City, in New Jersey, I mean, everywhere. And I went to, you know, take all different types of tests, like stress tests, CAT scans, blood tests, to try to figure out what was wrong. And I was diagnosed with a few different things, and I was put on several different medications. And sometimes it would work for a short time, and then, you know, and then I would go back to dealing with the pain again. So I got to a point where I needed to look into something other than the allopathic, you know, wave. So, because that just wasn't working for me. That was the first thing that I tried and it wasn't working for me. And that's when I, um, through a series of very interesting mystical events, um, found meditation. And meditation was really, really transforming for me. Yeah. Uh, how long did it take before you guys got confirmation that, she she did die that she wasn't you know she didn't escape and and wind up you know heading toward midtown um how long did it take till we had like till we had the actual evidence from from the state telling us that they declared that they found evidence is that what you're asking or are you saying because we didn't ever really know until many, many, many months later when um, they found her DNA. Um, oh, wow. In the remains. But, but we, before that, we just, we never knew. I mean, it was... I, I mean, wow. I don't remember how long exactly it took, you know, before we really just accepted the fact, but that book wasn't closed for a long time because we really didn't know for a while. I mean, in the beginning, I would say it was the hardest because you're so hopeful and you're running around. I mean, we were searching everywhere. We were, you know, in dumpsters. We were putting up hundreds of signs everywhere. We were traveling to hotels and hospitals, and we would follow this story. You know, this person would tell us, oh, they just found, you know, she worked for Tanner Fitzgerald. So they would tell us, oh, they found five people that worked for Tanner Fitzgerald in Jersey City. Oh, they just found a group of people that worked for Tanner in Brooklyn. They just found blah, blah, blah. And we would be like, you know, on a, on a, what, a wild goose chase, kind of like running around following like these little breadcrumbs of information that people would give to us. And it would just kind of lead us right back where we started almost every single time. And so as time progressed, we just became less and less hopeful. But we ne- really never knew for a long time. And if it wasn't for the spiritual that we had, you know, we, you know, we, we still would have been wondering, but we had just received so much from evidential mediums and from experiences that I was having um, that that's really what kind of um, validated that she was definitely, you know, not here anymore, that she had definitely crossed over. Right. Because I think uh, somewhere, you're the psychology person, I'm just a psychic, but um, Mm -hmm. I feel that, Somewhere in the brain, somewhere in the subconscious, there's something that keeps going and keeps going and keeps hoping, trusting, believing until we get a confirmation of validation that the yes answer that we're seeking is really a no. Right. So living like that month after month has to feel like somebody is shredding you piece by piece and very exhausting Mm -hmm. on all levels. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely. So well, you, you know, mentioned you're right. The brain definitely, I guess, out of its attempt to to protect us emotionally, wants you know helps us to create the idea that there's still hope, that maybe there's a chance that she's still alive. So for me, if you don't mind, if I could go into the story about um, the first piece of evidence that I got spiritually that she was gone. That's exactly what I was just going to ask you. <laughs> See? We're in tune. Because <laughs> I was going to say, tell us what the spiritual experiences and pieces of evidence were. Okay. So the first piece was um, the night before 9-11. Um, I was home 
it was I had uh, culinary school that night because I had just started culinary school, and uh, Lynn had worked that day. She had a she had a really long commute when she got out of work, so she had to, you know, go to Port Authority, and then she would have to get on the bus, and then she would take the bus all the way home, and then somebody would have to pick her up. So she was just having a tough day after a long commute and after a busy day, and we kind of just had a brief phone call, and then um, I was up watching TV. And I was a night person. I had always been a night person for most of my life. So, you know, it was very, like, common for me to be up watching TV late at night. So this particular night I was up, I think it was maybe sometime around 3 o'clock in the morning. And the only reason why I remember that is because Larry King Live, I don't even know if that show is still on. I guess it, I guess it is. But um, it ran um, at 9 p.m., at 12 p.m., uh, 12 a.m., and then at 3 o'clock in the morning. So now it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm flipping from channel to channel trying to find something to watch. And I see um, the guest on Larry King Live is John Edwards, you know, the psychic medium John oh, Edwards. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I wasn't, like, overly into him or his show, but I remember seeing it a couple of times, and I thought it was interesting. I never really gave any of these topics too much thought if I'm being honest but I was you know intrigued and it was late there wasn't a lot on and so they're having a conversation and um John Edward is on the phone with a caller and the caller um was this woman who had lost her husband okay and John Edward starts explaining to the woman oh I remember when uh, no not I remember when he said to her um you were walking, I think it was at the Niagara Falls, and a feather came down, and, and it kind of dropped right in front of you. And you picked up that feather, and you looked at it as a sign for you to finally tell your children, because she hadn't even told her children that the father was passed on, and um, that it was time for her to tell them that they were gone, which was a sign. So you hear her just, like, bawling on the phone. You know, she's, like, completely losing it. So I'm taking that as, obviously, he's right on the money kid, right? So, um, so of course, she validates that he's, you know, obviously connected to her husband on the other side. And um, they're kind of, like, going back and forth, and John Edward is bringing um, these messages through to this woman. And I'm sitting at the foot of my bed just, like, falling and thinking to myself, why am I getting so emotional over this? I had never lost anyone except for my grandfather, but he was older. We weren't super close. You know, it was, I, I was definitely sad and emotional, but it wasn't, you know, anything like tragic or out of the, out of like what you would expect. Right. So I just, I was like uncertain why I was overly emotional about it. And then, um, John Edwards and, and Larry King continued their conversation and, um, the show is over. And now I show up the TV and I'm laying there thinking to myself, if I ever lose somebody, I would want them to come back and tell me that there was, like, some kind of other side, that there's some kind of an afterlife. And I'm, like, racking my brain. Who can I talk to? Who can I make this pact with that would agree that if they go before me, that um, should I ask my grandmother? Should I ask my other grandmother? I'm, like, trying to think of all these things. And then eventually <laughs> I took, you know, town or PM or something silly like that, fell asleep. So this is now, like, what, 4.30 in the morning? And then the next morning, um, you know, my mom, I was living in the basement of my parents' house at the time, like most good Long Island children do when they graduate college. And um, so anyway, I was living living down there, and she came down into my room. She crashed, you know, into my bed and was like, Lynn's building, Lynn's building. She was hysterical at the time. And uh, I was like totally, I was groggy. I felt like, you know, okay, mom, calm down. What are you talking about? And she turns on the TV, and she's like trying to explain to me that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. So when I kind of, like, realized what was going on, I was really optimistic. I didn't think that, like, I figured she's either not at work yet or how many thousands of people work in that building, and plus there's two buildings. Like, my, in my mind, I was thinking she's fine, you know. But, right. um, but then, so, then the tower collapsed. And then um, at this point, I'm like, wait, this isn't right. Something's not, something is not good here, right? And then right. I went upstairs, and I'm trying to get a hold of her. I'm trying to call her cell phone, but I can't get a hold of her. So I go upstairs to the second floor, because I was trying on my cell phone. So I go up to the second floor, and I call 
on the landline, I'm still getting nothing. I'm not getting anything on her office line. I'm not getting anything on her cell phone. I try to call her family. Same thing. Her family's not getting in touch with her. So now we have this big TV on, you know, like the big in the living room. And now the second plane gets, uh, the second building gets hit. So now it feels like the end of the world is about, it takes place, right? Because these yeah. things just don't happen. We don't, planes don't just come out of nowhere and hit, you know, the two, the twin towers in New York City in broad daylight in, in you know, in the morning. So I'm starting now to turn from like that optimistic hope, you know, to, uh-oh, something bad is happening here. And, you know, I'm kind of pacing back and forth and I'm still trying to call her and get a hold of her. And as I'm walking back and forth, I get this overwhelming feeling behind me. And this feeling was like somebody staring at you from across the room at a party, that kind of a feeling. And then you look over and you actually catch someone staring at you. So I had that feeling and it was like something behind me. So I turned around and behind me were glass sliding doors that led out to the porch. And as I looked toward the glass doors, I saw a feather dancing back and forth. And as I walked over, I opened the door, the feather fell to the ground. And that's when I knew she was gone. So that was, wow. the, first, that was the first thing that happened to me. Now, back to what you were saying before, how the brain tries to protect you, the psychological aspect of it, I put that feather away and I said, we're still going to find her. There's still a chance. You know, like it, that's, not, that's not enough. That, you know, you're, right. you're still going to get in the car, you know, which we couldn't do right away because they had a van going into the city. But when they lifted the van, that we drove into the city and tried to find her. But that feather was the first, uh, the first piece of evidence that something was going on. Wow. Yeah. Hence the feather on the book. Because I'm like, yeah. I'm looking at the book cover and I'm going, what's the significance of the feather? Now we mm-hmm. know. Yeah. That's the significance of the feather. Wow. And that was, you know, that was the first, that was the first thing, if you don't mind me going on a little bit. Go, um, go right first, ahead. Okay. So that was the first thing that happened. And as I said, when they lifted the band, we headed into the city with, you know, my father and my sisters and a couple of my friends. And we, we kind of toured around the city trying to find her, putting up the flyers and things like that. And so every day, you know, after a long, exhausting day of trying to find her, we would eventually get back in the car and drive back to my parents' house. So I don't remember exactly which day it was, but at some point I had come back. I was getting out of my car to walk into the, back into the house. And I hear my neighbor calling me from across the street, Mark, Mark. And I turn around, and here's my neighbor walking across the street. And she says to me, you know, I have something I need to talk to you about. And, um, you know, I hope you don't think I'm crazy, but there was a dove walking around your car today. It was on your car. I, was, I had a Ford Explorer at the time. So she said it was, on, it was on the hood. It was on the roof. It was walking all around the car. It was under the car. And if I'm being honest, I'm thinking, okay, right, right, right. You know, said I had a feeling that you might not believe me, so I took pictures. And I went and got them developed. And so she hands me a stack of pictures of this pure white dove that was on and around my car. So wow. this right there, I can't deny that. And then right. you know, furthermore, she says to me, and if that wasn't enough, there was a second dove on our neighbor's car, okay? So she lived directly across the street from me. And then the, the house one house over from her had um it was like a two-family house and on the second floor they had a tenant and the tenants were like a husband and wife and i never knew this before but um out of that husband and wife duo the husband worked with lynn at Tanner fitzgerald also perished in the world trade center and there was a second dove that was walking on and around his wife's car as well same day same time and she had pictures of that as well that's amazing. So it was That's like definitely undeniable. Yeah, definitely some evidence there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because speaking of meditation, I'm convinced most people 
most people are so caught up and swept up in the hubbub of living. Uh, and I always sound like I'm down on advertising and marketing and all of that. I'm really not, but I am down on when it gets to the fever pitch of insanity that mm -hmm. it is presently. They're getting you on television. They're getting you on radio. They're getting you now on the internet. I mean, there have been times when I've clicked on an internet page and there's so many things going on. You're hearing stuff from a video. You're, you're getting flashing lights and all of that stuff going on that you don't even know why you clicked on the page to begin with. And it might've been to read a story. And when you mm -hmm. finally clear the crap and, and mm -hmm. find words and some semblance of a story, it's like a two by two little box. And you're saying, why did I come here? Yeah. And it, it's all of the, Ooh, shiny, look here, look there, look, you know, constant stimulation and people just really have no clue anymore what it's like to be completely silenced mm -hmm. and to be in the present moment and mm -hmm. to be in their own center, to be in their own balance, and more mm -hmm. importantly, to be in their own power. Mm -hmm. They can't do it because nobody is quiet enough and slow enough that they can get that spot, unless, of course, they meditate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know, and I know from experience with my Reiki students. When I say to them, okay, we're going to do a meditation, and they'll do the guided meditation that I do with them. And then when I tell them to meditate each day on the precepts so they can do one precept a day or however they want to do it, and just talking about meditation, I get the same reaction almost in every single class. Oh, I don't know how. It's too hard. I can't do it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no. No, no. I'm not telling you you have to sit like a yogi in a cross-legged position on the floor in a special mm -hmm. area and mm -hmm. have your hands in all different kinds of mudras and know what chants to say. But let me give you a very simple meditation. And then I give them the breathing meditation. And mm -hmm. I say, do it for three minutes a day, increase it to five, and go on right. from there. When right. you've mastered that, you know, for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, or a half hour, whatever, We'll move on to something right. else a little more interesting, but you're not going to tell me that meditation is too hard. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, and I gather that's how it kind of, I mean, how did you start with the meditation and how did you find it when you started? And also, this isn't asking too much in one breath, <laughs> how do you find instructing and teaching meditation? Well, first of all, I agree with everything that you were saying about how we're just inundated. We're inundated with what other people want us to be inundated over, whether it be their advertisements or whether it be stories or their point of view. Um, and more, more, you know, recently I'm on the same page with you on this because recently I've been saying to my wife that it's just out of control because it's like if you're on Facebook, right, you could have a thousand friends, right? And, there, you know, yeah. there's always a few people that are, like, in a very negative state of mind, and so you find that you see, like, the negative posts that show up all the time. You could unfriend that person, right? Okay, so then you think, okay, I've unfriended the negative people from my life. Well, no, it's not that easy because, first of all, there's all this other stuff that's coming up in the way, that which I don't even know how it got to this point because I don't remember it being like this when I first got on Facebook, I don't know how many years ago, right. but like recently the videos that are popping up in my news feed, they're like, I'm sorry, not to sound extreme, but they're nauseating. I mean, they're like, I'm just like, how did that, how did that end up on my news feed? And, and it's like, usually someone's like trying to prove a point about how something terrible is going on in the world but some of it's too much and there's like no regulating what we're about to see until it's right in front of your eyes, you know? And well, those were the kinds of posts. Those are the kinds of posts that when I see them, I go, okay, so I stopped watching TV and TV news and radio news because I don't want to hear about this sensationalized BS. Exactly. And I've got it exactly. here now. <laughs> no, you know what? You're exactly right. I said the same thing. I go, this is why I stopped watching the news. So many, so many years ago, because 
just very quickly, the reason why I stopped was because I was on, you know, I was at ground zero for a lot of the time that everything that was going on with 9-11. I was there. I was on the front lines. I was traveling from ground zero to the armory to all these places. Then I would go home and watch countless hours of the news. And after a while, I realized what you're seeing on the news is not even really what's going on. So as right. well, I realized this is, there's no reason for me to be watching this. I don't feel any better about it. I'm not any smarter for watching it. So I just decided to unplug from it. But now we have to take yep. it a step further because now it's showing up in social media. So I totally agree. But without going off on a rampage about that, because yeah, I Yeah, that's a whole other um, show. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. That's a whole other show. Um, but to answer your question, I found meditation because I had to, because I had no other choice, because I was suffering. You know, I was I was suffering emotionally. I was suffering physically, and so um, I, I meditation for me was a means of healing. And so, you know, when you really need something, when you're suffering, you will you will go to that extreme, or you'll you'll find something like that, and you'll try it, and you'll stick with it, because that's the thing about meditation is that you're not going to have a life changing experience the first time you sit down to do a five minute meditation. You know, it's consistency. It's doing it over and over again that you're really going to start to, you know, I stuck with it, and it was life-changing, and it was transformational. But I, you know, I also, as you were saying with the Reiki, with your Reiki students, I have the same issues, you know, that um, people are just uh, misinformed, and they misunderstand what meditation is. And so as a teacher, um, because I teach meditation because of what it's done for my life, you know, and I know that if there's anything that I can offer to other people, it has to be something that's worked for me. And that's the one thing that I know that I can rely on. It's the one thing that I know is a fail-safe way to transform your life. But then when I started teaching it to people, I realized, whoa, I really got to simplify this because most people have a, you know, are, are just, they just have a misunderstanding of, of what they're supposed to be experiencing and what meditation actually is. Right. So right. when I'm working with um, students, um, I, I, you know, um, very, very simple because it's all about mind training, right? It's, like I said, it's, you're not going to slip into a 30-minute trance the first time you meditate, you know. But it's no, just it's training like the mind. You can't pick up a 100-pound weight the first time you say, I'm going to do weight training. You start with little two, three-pound weights and work your way up. Everything is working up building. It's like, you know. Right. But people don't right. realize that. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. And on that point, you know, it's like if you're going to go to the gym, you have to go to the gym for, you know, six months before you're allowed to take score and see is there anything really changing in my body? Am I losing weight? Am I getting toner or whatever it is? And it's the same thing with meditation. I, I wouldn't take score until you're at least doing it for, you know, 21 days or 40 days, and then you get to decide if it's working for you or if you want to try a different method within meditation because that's another thing. There are so many different ways to meditate. So I like to say mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who your teacher is and it doesn't matter, um, you know, what you believe in. It doesn't matter how many minutes a day that you meditate. All that matters is you find one way that you enjoy and you do it every single day. That's it. Right. It's like, and that's another thing, you know, it's all about, um, we're taking in a lot of stuff and it's mm -hmm. always taking in, taking in, taking in. It's like, okay, so if you have a bucket and you're constantly filling it, what's going to happen? You're going to have overflow at some point and that's right. not helping the bucket or you. And I feel that people need to actually, instead of taking in, go within. And when you go within, right. then you have to start to flow that outwardly and that's kind of what started me on my daily meditations because they started with, I would do the Gayatri Mantra every morning and then I would do Medicine Buddha for healing and then I would do this uh, love meditation called Rama Dasa, that's the chant, and for love. And then what I started doing was feeling the necessity that I had to push that out. I was doing the meditations for myself, self-love, mm -hmm. self-healing, self-work and growth. 
but that when I did them, at a, after a certain point, like you said, I think it was maybe a month or three months after I was doing them personally for myself, that mm-hmm. I started to do them every morning. And every morning, I would have this visual going on in my in my mind's eye that I was mm-hmm. sending the love that I was now full of and the healing, like in the Reiki practice, um, pushing that out to the world. And every morning I take a trip around the world in my own mind. I start on Long Island and then I do the United States, go up to Canada, down to Central and South America, and just keep continuing. Mm. And um, so, I mean, it it starts one way and then you grow from it. And like you said, there are so many different forms of meditation. Right. People don't know because, like, it's that visual of the little old guy with the, you know, twisted like a pretzel sitting on the floor with the mudras that people go, I can't do that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And another thing I used to to promote it is I tell people, because this seems to work. I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but you say, you know how every night when you're done with your computer, you clear the cache and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, your computer runs better, doesn't it? runs faster, right? Said, yeah, okay. You meditate every morning, you're clearing your cache. Right, absolutely. And you start, you know, you're better, you're faster, you're, you know. Yeah. Definitely. And I that think helps. that, we, you know, we need it more now than ever before. And I think that people, that one thing that most people don't realize is that, you know, we're overstimulated. We're overstimulated from the minute that oh, we yeah. walk up and, even though I am a big fan of technology for all the things that it does for us, I think there's a lot of perks to it, but I also think that it adds to anxiety. It adds to, you know, a lot of the negative emotions that we experience. And I think also like what most people don't realize is that it overstimulates us and we become addicted to the chemicals in our body that are produced when we're overstimulated. So like, it's, it's like, even if we wanted to stop doing what we were doing, we can't. It's almost like, no. you know, maybe some people that drink alcohol would understand this, that, you know, go a whole day saying, I don't need a drink, I don't need a drink. But then once they have the drink, they have like several more drinks afterwards. They wouldn't have had more of those drinks if they didn't have the first drink. And I feel like we start off, you know, that to me is like the same thing as being overstimulated because you start off, it's like, oh, I just woke up. I feel refreshed. It's going to be a new day. I'm so excited. And then, boom, what's the first thing we do? We grab our iPhone, right? And we start checking text messages, and we check our Facebook, and we check our emails, and that's when it begins. And then it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs, and we become overstimulated. The chemicals are flowing through our body, and it's almost like we become like a victim to our own chemicals in the body. So that's why we really need some time throughout the day where we, as you say, clear the cash. Sit down, unplug, turn the phone off, turn everything off, just do your 20-minute meditation, and you'll get, you'll come out of that like a brand-new person. It's almost like oh, a recap exactly. in the middle of the day. Exactly. When I was working in the law firm, what I would do is I would go into work at 9, I'd work until my lunch, which was 1. I'd go, if it was nice enough out, if it was like winter, uh, I would go into my car, and you'd see me laying down in my front seat, and I'd be having my hands on my head, my chest all over. And people would, like, knock on the window and go, are you feeling okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just doing Reiki. <laughs> yep. 20 minutes of Reiki, okay? And it was as if the morning, whatever had gone on in my morning, was gone. And when I walked back in, it was like walking in in the morning again. All I had right. really cleared the cash. All that stuff was gone. And right. uh, it was just basically Reiki and a little meditation, and I was good to go, good as new. Right, exactly. That's wonderful. I know it, sounds too easy. it sounds too easy to be true to maybe people that haven't done it, but if you did try this and committed yourself to it for, you know, three or four weeks, you would see that it really is what we're talking about. It really is an opportunity at any point in the day to hit the reset button and start over and feel refreshed and the stress levels go down and the heart rate goes down. And you start to have the feel-good chemicals flowing through the body, and it's like it's like a reset button. I mean, and it's free, and you can take it anywhere, you know. <laughs> it's totally uncomplicated. Trust us, people. Meditation is not difficult. Exactly. It's free. It's easy, and it really the benefits that you get from it, even like a five-minute meditation. 
mm-hmm. listen to us and and try <laughs> it and uh, yeah. really like that commercial. Try it, you'll like it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just getting to try it once, right. and uh, you'll you'll get on board with it. Uh, I just mm-hmm. want to. Where am I? I don't know. Uh, I'm coming up on an event you're having. You are having with my good buddy, Rick Bader, uh, the sound healing medium. You guys Mm -hmm. are doing a one-day special event on February 28th, which is the Sunday coming up in Merrick um, over at Fuel the Soul. If anybody wants more information, contact Mark at 516-525-4933, or you can email him at markchabis at gmail.com. And that's going to be a great, it's a, this is for advanced meditators, Mark? Yeah. It's an advanced meditation workshop, right? Yeah, we say it's for advanced because we're not teaching any basics. It's kind of like we're just going to be, you know, doing three different kinds of meditation. So if you're brand new to the practice, you might opt for a beginner class over this. But with that said, um, if you never meditated before and you came to this, you wouldn't feel left out or like you didn't know what you were doing because we would guide you through the process while you were there. That's but that's why we call it the advanced. In case you went there and you've never meditated before, you know, that you know kind of what you're up against. But we had a woman that came, because Rick came to do a special um kind of like a, a, a demo night, I guess you could say, a couple of weeks ago to promote this right. workshop that we're doing this weekend. And mm-hmm. it was we had 25 people that were supposed to come. We ended up getting that crazy snowstorm. So it was right. like people canceling left, right, and sideways. And anyway, we had a woman walk in the door, and uh, she was brand new. She had never meditated a minute in her life. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is not the time. This is not the right spot, you know? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, because Rick brings all his, you know, all you know, all his stuff, right? I his know. Bells, we have bristles, those, like, almost every bowls. other month. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's insane. And it's totally incredible, and it's awesome. Um, but he has all this stuff. And um, and the sounds that he creates with his equipment is so intense, and you can feel it reverberating throughout your body. So, I'll be honest with you. I was like, oh, this might be a little bit too much for this lady. And anyway, we did it for 45 minutes and we came out of it. She just turned to me and she's like, that was incredible. So I was like, okay, I guess anybody could walk in here and have this experience with the music. So so that's why I want to tell that story because if you are a beginner, you could still come and I'm sure that you'll have a great experience. Yeah. But we also do a beginner workshop once a month there at the same place. And that kind of takes you through what is meditation, what are the benefits of meditation, what are the different forms of meditation, we do walking meditation, communicative, um, the guided meditation. So you kind of get like a little sample of each one, and then you can go home and, and decide which one you want to um, use as your daily practice. And that's in Merrick. And aside from contacting Mark, you guys can go look on Facebook for Fuel the Soul, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a massage place in Merrick. So feel free to check them out. And again, if you have any questions, just email me, get a hold of me. I will forward your questions on to the appropriate parties. Um, <laughs> so, and let me see, we got, I've got Rick. Yes, Rick is having inner light blindfolded sound healing meditation in Cold Spring Harbor on March 11th. So if you want information about Rick and that, contact me. Rick and I are doing an Honoring the Spring Equinox event on March 19th, and that's going to take place in Westbury, and um, kind of welcoming the spring because everybody's had enough of this winter. Uh, And do you have a website, Mark, or where do we find you? um, I have a website. It's markchavis.com. Um, I also have another website for the meditation group. That's longislandmeditation.com. And uh, I'm most active on Facebook, so you can you can find me um, on Facebook. It's Mark Chavis, C-H-A-B as in boy, U-S. It's Mark Chavis, and you can find me on Facebook. I have a few different pages on there. Yay. Such an easy name. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> really, because people ask me, when you got divorced, why didn't you, you know, Change your name back to your maiden name. And I said, you know, 
Jimenez, which most people don't say. I say Jimenez just so maybe that would help people, you know, pronounce it better. Doesn't work. Um, But my maiden name was an Italian name. And people would just look at it and go, uh, Miss E-O-E-E. I said, never mind, just call me Rose. Because it was Iodice, which in Italian is spelled I-O-D-I-C-E. Get it. (laughs) (laughs) Just call me Rose. Yeah, just call me Rose, please. Um, We have five more minutes. So let me see. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you about? Oh, coaching. So, so when you do the coaching, how did you get to it, and and how do you work this? So, um, when the book came out, it kind of started. I was doing a lot of promoting for the book, and uh, the book got into a lot of people's hands, and I started getting con- you know contacted for coaching sessions, just basically people that had found um, that they related to my book, and they were going through some kind of. Um, you know, difficulty or recovering from a tragedy or uh, just, like, at a point in their life where they felt stuck. So I had, you know, a lot of people contacting me and asking if they could work with me just to kind of learn on a deeper level what I what method I chose to, um, you know, heal myself and transform my life. And so I started working with people and then decided to go for formal training. Um, and that's when I went to Robin's Madonna's for the coaching training. And then I ended up going into businesses and working with businesses, which is why I went to Harvard for the uh, leadership training, which was very helpful. And um, but basically Robins what I do now, that, Is the Robbins part of that name Anthony Robbins or another Robbins? Yes. Yes, it's Anthony Robbins, the great motivational speaker. He I adore him. That founded, yes, he's wonderful. And he's the one that founded Robbins Madonna Strategic Intervention. And what okay. that is is just, you know, it's helping people to get from where they are to where they want to be. It's basically helping them to build a roadmap. What's great about coaching, in my opinion, is that you can help them see a perspective that maybe they couldn't see because when it's our problem, we're so wrapped up in the emotional state that our problem causes that most of the time we don't see things for what they are. So when you hire a coach, it kind of a coach is not emotionally attached to your problem. So he's sort of like at a different vantage point. So a coach's job is to take you up to that level where you can see things more clearly from a different perspective. And then from that point of view, to build a a bridge to get from where they are to where they ultimately want to be. Exactly. Now it's that age old thing. Like if two people are having a, you know, a discussion or they're just not, not seeing eye to eye, you run and you get a friend and you say, you know, what do you think? And it's that third person that, that really helps everything work out because you don't really see if people just kind of go into offensive, defensive. And while that's all going on, there's not much balance and not much making sense unless right. one of them is really highly evolved. And then in that case, that's worse because if one is, is highly evolved and has been there, done that and learned, the other one hasn't, and you're still going to have a war. So, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And to that point, to that point, it's uh, that's another thing too. Is that you know a lot of people might think, well, that's what I have friends for, you know. And the thing is, the difference between going to your friend with your problem and going to your coach with a problem is that your friend might not say to you something that you really need to hear because they don't want to offend you. They don't want to hurt your feelings. Not that's the coach's job, but when I when I hear someone, you know, a client that comes to me and they say, these are the problems that I have, I'm not afraid to say how I really feel about the situation because that's what they really need to hear. But I have friends too, and they come to me with their problems too. And when they come to me, I don't act as their coach. So I know that I would say things differently when they're my friend or a sister-in-law or a sister than when they're my coach because I love them and I value that relationship and I don't want anything to get in the way of that relationship. So we always hold back when it's a family member or or if it's a friend. And I think that's the value in having a coach too, is that they're just, they, they hopefully will tell you like it is because they don't fear the relationship ending. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because I've done some coaching and, and uh, actually a mother and daughter uh, clientele. And you got to a point where I'm like, 
you know, this is getting sticky because I, I knew somebody was lying. And I'm like, right. I, I got to back out of this because I think because of the friendly and the friendship end of it, the daughter thought, oh, well, she's my friend. She's my buddy. I'm going to lie to her. Subconsciously, right. I don't think she intended to lie to me, but the stories weren't matching. And yeah. I'm like, I got to back out of this one. Mm -mm. No, no. Right, right. So, right. Uh, yeah. Well, it's what I got to tell you. It's very common, and I think that it's mostly because people are lying to themselves. And so, you know, even though they want to tell you everything and they, they really want you to help them so they feel they need to tell you everything, but when you're lying to yourself for so long, you're not going to still agree with someone that you met for the first time. So I've had, you know, like it's like the sixth session with someone before they tell me something that they've been keeping from me for six weeks. Like, why didn't you tell me this on day one? You know, like this would have saved so much, but. It's it's almost like they 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 don't even have the ability to communicate that because they haven't even admitted it in their own mind to themselves, so they're not about to bring it to the table with you. So Whoa. I think you're right. It's, it's very common. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I mean, I, yeah, this is just a statement of fact because anytime I say something about my ex-husband, people are like, oh, she's bitter, she's this, she's that. No, she's not. She's just stating a fact. We went for right. marriage counseling, okay. And I watched this go on for like a year and a half. And every week we'd go and every week I'd listen to my husband lie. Finally, in the last like four to six months were the worst. And I said to the counselor, I called him up one day and said, you, do you know that he sits there each week and lies to you? And the counselor said, yeah, I know he's lying. <laughs> so I said, okay, so like where is this getting him and where is this getting me? And where is this getting this marriage or the dissolution right. of this marriage or whatever? Right. Right. And he didn't give me a good enough answer. And then I happened to be alone in the kitchen one day. And my spirit guides came in and said, uh, excuse me, um, you might want to look and see what your contribution to this fiasco of a marriage was. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, what? And it's like, take personal responsibility. Go get therapy. Check yourself out. See what you contributed to this and see what you have to do. Which mm -hmm. then led to my going alone into therapy. And mm -hmm. in a very short time, I found a lot of information out, things that I didn't even realize or know. Mm -hmm. And it was like, whoa. And when that light bulb went on for me, then things got rolling. Because like my counselor said, how long did you go to this guy? <laughs> Right. He said, no, if you were with me, it would have taken us like six to eight weeks counseling you and your husband, and I'd see whether I'm going to counsel you toward getting back together again, resolving and healing the marriage, or dissolving mm -hmm. the marriage and going separate ways. Six to eight weeks. Right. Right. And I was like, right. damn. <laughs> 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 but, you know, like you said, there's. You know, and, and today I still, you know, get glimpses of my husband's life. And I say, my God, he's in the same place he was almost 20 years ago. How does this happen? How does it happen? It happens when someone is lying to themselves and not even cognizant that they're lying right. to themselves. Right. And I get a lot of that in my work. And there's only so much I can do, you know. Right. Um, right. And then you got to kind of disengage because... If somebody's just not going to believe it, and you can't keep fighting with somebody, like the old saying goes, you can lead a, house to, a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So, oh, absolutely. Yep. You know, yeah. Well, Mark, this has been great, and we really need more time, but we don't have any more time. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to be the comeback kid. We're going to have to have you on again. Thank oh, you thank so you. much. Great. You're welcome. I'm gonna leave. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm going to leave the studio and go send your friend request on Facebook. And um, thank you so much for being here. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Have a great right, evening. Thank you, thank you guys for night. listening. And uh, we'll be back again. I will let you know when. Have a great weekend.